Yeah. 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 Tell me when you're ready. You ready? Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wa usalli wa usallam ala sayyid al-awwaleen wa al-akhirin nabiyyana Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa barak wa sallam. All praise are due to Allah, Lord of the worlds, and peace and blessings be constantly showered upon our beloved Prophet Muhammad, the master of the first and the last, his companions, his family, and all those who called to his way and practice his sunnah to the day of judgment. As to what follows, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillah, we are continuing on in our study of Islam at the crossroads. And no doubt, with the condition of Muslims in the world, we are at a very serious crossroad in the sense that in one direction is imminent destruction. In one direction, there is a well-orchestrated plan to um, deprive the Muslim world of its leadership, to destroy the economies, to enslave the masses, uh, and to leave the Muslim world uh, totally subservient to secular powers. On the other hand, uh, there is light. There is light at the end of the tunnel in that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, has given us a path which is not an easy one. And the Prophet, peace be upon him, said the road or the path to paradise is surrounded by makarih, by hateful things. And so it's not an easy path, but it eventually leads to paradise. And it is important for us uh, to recognize that the struggle that we are going through today on an individual level, family, community, international level, is not a new struggle. It is a struggle that has gone on from time immemorial, from the creation of Adam alayhi <coughs> salam. That the struggles of the, 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 the forces of evil will struggle against the forces of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so there is great blessing in the struggle. And there is a double blessing for us if we can be aware of what is happening around us instead of just reacting to situations, but we become proactive and begin to plan ahead uh, for what is going down in the world today. And this is where we understood in looking at the Muslim world and the great potential that Muslims have on the land and the sea, numbers, wealth, youth, knowledge, strategic position, a great history, and so there is great potential, but at the same time, we are feeling a type of frustration because we are not uh, meeting the challenges that will enable us to benefit from the potential. And so this is what it is. It is to look within ourselves to try to understand what is going on around us uh, and to come out with some viable solutions to the problems that we are facing uh, today. And this uh, begins by 
a reflection on our situation. And this is not easy because for many people who recently embraced Islam or young people or those who are finding their Islam, it's not easy to look at the condition of Muslims, especially because we have such a beautiful religion, uh, such a perfect way of life, and great promises from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But we need to understand that this world is connected to the next world. That we are not living here in isolation to the next world. And for every action that we make in this world, there is a reaction. And that reaction will come either here in this life, in the dunya, or will come in the next life. And so in that light, we are looking at the 40 hadith of Islamic revival, the 40 hadith which, uh, after years of traveling in the field, uh, have become so important to many of us who have been struggling in the field of Islamic awareness and dawah, and uh, trying to understand the beautiful legacy left by our beloved Prophet Muhammad and so in this and looking at the dangers uh, facing the Ummah, Prophet Muhammad was reported to have said, Ummati hadihi ummatun marhuma, laysa alayha adabun fil akhira, adabuha fid dunya al fitan wa zalazal wal qatl. That this, my Ummah, my nation, is a nation that has mercy on it. Mercy. Its punishment is, will not be in the hereafter, but the punishment will be in this life, in the dunya. That being fitten, trials and tribulations, earthquakes or natural catastrophes, and murder or genocide. And so um, this is a hadith which is clear information. It is with no frills. It is cutting edge information. That what we are going through today in the world is a type of Tamhis. It is a purification that this nation needs to go through in order to qualify to take the leadership uh, of the planet. The, just the fact that we say we are Muslims or come from a Muslim family is not enough. We need to prove in a sense that we are worthy of taking leadership uh, in this dunya because so much is at stake. And so in order to wake us up and also to purify us for the next life, the Prophet, peace be upon him, informs us that our punishment is going to be here in the dunya. So because a person has tawheed, they have la ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah that even if they do wrong and they spend a period of time in Jahannam, in hellfire, somehow, uh, they are destined to come out. And so the punishment or the wake-up call is three factors. Fitn, zalazul, qatl. Fitn is the plural of fitna. And that is a trial or a tribulation, a gray area, a confusion. And we see it happening around us. The trials and tribulations Muslims are facing today uh, is something which is unbelievable. And many of us, even 10 years ago, could not imagine uh, what is happening in the Muslim world. Secondly, earthquakes or natural catastrophes. And we know that they are striking the Muslim world in a tremendous way. Again, it's a wake-up call. 
And sometimes people function better uh, in strife than they do in a state of peace. And the third is genocide, murder, qatl, that we would be killed and killed in large numbers. And so we see it happening in front of us and the Prophet, peace be upon him, uh, did not speak from himself. His knowledge came from above seven heavens. And that was hadith number two. So we'll go on to hadith number three of the 40 hadith on Islamic revival. And this is a very famous uh, hadith. It's a very important one also. And um, very meaningful with a lot of the situations that are happening uh, in the Muslim world today. And even if you look at Islamic history. And this is reported by Tawban, an, and he narrated that the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu said, Yushikul umamu an tada'a alaykum kama tada'a al-aklatu ila qas'atiha. Faqala qailun wa min qillatin nahnu yawma idhan, qala bel entum yawma idhan kathia, walakinnakum guthā'un ka guthā'a al-sayl, وَلَيَنزَعَنَّ اللَّهُ مِنْ صُدُورِ يَدُوِكُمَ الْمَحَابَةَ مِنْكُمْ وَلَيَقْذِفَنَّ اللَّهُ فِي قُلُوبِكُمَ الْوَهِنْ فَقَالَ قَائِلٌ يَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ وَمَا الْوَهِنْ قَالَ حُبِّ الدُّنْيَا وَكَرَهِيَةُ الْمَوْتِ رواه أبو داود وقال حديث حسن صحيح So in this tradition, the translation goes, the nations are about to call one another and descend upon you just as those who are eating invite others in sharing food. So just imagine now somebody has set a ma'idah out, they've set a spread, and they're about to eat, and some people come by. Okay, maybe it's in a masjid, maybe it's you know outside, whatever. But the people are coming by and they say, come, ta'al, ta'al, come and eat. Enjoy this food. So you're literally calling people to a lovely feast. Okay, so now, so the Prophet is saying the nations are going to be literally calling each other to the feast on the Muslim world. Now think about that description. Because the feast, the food cannot fight back, right? The food is helpless, right? And you eat the chicken, you eat the rice, you tear up the vegetables, right? The, the food is just laying there and the people enjoy it uh, as they please. So, the, so then, as the hadith continues... Somebody asked, will that be because we are few in number at that time? That's a very good uh, question because really, I mean, we are believers. You know, how can the nations be, be doing something like that? So we must be small in number. And that's logical. But the Prophet ﷺ answered and he said, um, no. Bel entum yomaidin kathir. At that time, you will be numerous. You will be numerous. And he uses the example, then the Prophet said, um, you will be numerous, but you will be the froth carried by the torrent. So this is a, a beautiful description. And that is that uh, the stream that is going along is carrying sticks and twigs and you know little foam and whatever. It's being carried. It moves to the right. It moves to the left. When I was living in Cape Town, and you'll see it in many countries that have beautiful coastlines, uh, it, was, it was really particular in the southern part of Africa, that Cape Coast, that uh, you could look down and you could see uh, seaweeds there and foam, literally foam, all along the edge uh, of the shoreline. And so the um, 
the froth, meaning the foam and the twigs, it is there and it looks like it's a lot, but it has no weight. And those weeds that you see, if the torrent goes to the left, they go to the left. If it goes to the right, it goes to the right. If the, those weeds actually had roots in the, the, the bottom, then they might go a little bit to the left, but they come back. But the fact that they have no roots, they have no foundation, then they will be carried in any direction that the torrent takes them. And so this is a perfect description of what is happening in the Muslim world, people being carried to the right, carried to the left. One day they're right wing, next day they're left wing. One day they're socialists, then they're capitalists, then they're feminists. They're all types of things um, uh, other than what they should be in following Allah and His Messenger. And so carried in all types of directions, but huge in number. Look at the Muslim world. Everywhere in the world you go, you will see masjids. And many parts of the world, when you go to the masjid, it's packed with people. If you go to Umrah right now, uh, even though it's far away from Hajj, it's loaded with people. You can't even get into the Kaaba. And this is not even during Hajj season itself. And if the, the, the Saudis opened it up for anybody to come, there would be so many people in there that there wouldn't even hardly be room to walk. So large numbers, but no impact. Remember that description, Ghutha Asail. Ghutha Asail. The Ghutha is the, is the twigs or the scum or the foam, and the sail is the torrent. Right? So you're large in number and you have no effect. Then the Prophet, peace be upon him, uh, describes uh, what that actually is, giving more details. And he said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will remove the fear of you from the hearts of your enemies and will put a weakness into your hearts. Now, this fear that he means here is not the type of fear of something evil, a fear of a monster, or fear of the devil. But it is, um, uh, this mahaba is a natural fear that you have of something strong where you sort of respect it. Because now the Prophet saying, Allah is going to take the fear of you out of the hearts of your enemies. Now, what does this mean? One of the best examples that I found of this, I found it again in Southern Africa, and that was in the game reserve. And in South Africa, it's famous for huge game reserves. They have one called uh, Kruger National Park on the eastern side of the country. It's about the size of the, 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 you know, the state of Rhode Island. It's not a little zoo where the animals are prisoners of war, stuck in cages. Right? It's not that. The animals live outside. So you, you drive through with a driver on an elevated vehicle. The driver's got a gun because this is real. And you're going into the territory of the animals. So you will see the hippopotamus, the rhinoceros, the giraffe, the wildebeest, the lions, the leopards. They're all living in their world. Okay, and you're traveling through their world. And I, we were surprised to find out uh, that most of the animals, just about all the animals that we saw, were afraid of human beings. When human beings came, even a huge giraffe, the elephants get nervous. That's how dangerous people are, right? How much destruction we've caused. The animals are nervous of people. And we saw most of the major animals during this particular trip. But as we were moving along, we came across 
a pride of lions. And there were about seven of them lying on the side of the road. So the vehicle came and the driver turned and he said, don't look the lion in the eye. Don't look in his eyes. Whatever you do. Okay? And the lions were sleeping and relaxing and the vehicle came and they looked up at us and they yawned and they went back to sleep. No fear in their heart of people. So this... Uh, Izza, what I call Izza, which is a type of respect and a type of strength that the lion has, and they say the lion is the king of the, of the jungle. This Izza, um, is a type of might, and from the, from the same root of Izza, Azza, comes Aziz. And Aziz means something dear, something valuable as well, highly respected. So, um, this is a, the, that the lion has is a type of respect because of the capabilities of the lion. The lion is not a serial killer. You know you have people who just kill for the fun of it. And they go out and they hunt other people down and they kill them. They, they, they're now known as serial killers. Right? Lion is not a serial killer. The lion kills to survive. So that the life that the lion takes is, is, to, is to survive as an animal, as a predator. It's not because he just likes killing uh, gazelles, okay? So that is a beautiful example of the izzah that the Muslim world had. And that is that in the height of Islam, and this is even during much of the period of the Umayyads, although many people say after the Khulafa al-Rashidin, there's nothing happening. No, that's not necessarily true. There are points within the Umayyad dynasty and in the Abbasid dynasty when Islam was strong and it was respected all around the world. And there are some leaders like Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, uh, an, the great uh, Khalifa of the Umayyads, he's even considered to be one of the rightly guided caliphs. Okay? So in the Umayyad period, in the Abbasid period, there was strength. And it is said that one of the Abbasid leaders, uh, Mu'tasim Billah, that he heard, and this is much later on, you know, maybe 800 years after Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, long time. Okay, Abbasids are very strong. And the word came to him that one Muslim woman was captured by the Christians. And when she was captured in Christian lands, she cried out, Wa Mu'tasima. She cried out to Mu'tasim. And the word somehow reached him. When he heard that, he wrote a letter to the Christian king. And he said, send back the Muslim woman. If you do not send her back, then I will send an army to you whose front will reach you and the back is still coming from me. When the Christian king heard that, he said, hear and obey. And he sent her back into Muslim lands with bodyguards. Think about this. With bodyguards to take her back. Look at the respect. One Muslim sister, right? Now think about what happened to the Bosnians when the Serbians had thousands of women in rape camps. Think about what happened in many parts of the Muslim world you know, now. And this is the thing. When this respect is no longer in the hearts of your enemies, Serbians had no fear. They had no fear of, of, of what would happen to them. And some of the killers are still there in Serbia today. So when, 
Yeah. So when that fear is taken out of the hearts of your enemies, right, this is going to be part of this problem. Okay? But the second part is, and this is crucial for us, that the prophet, peace be upon him, said that Allah will put a weakness in your heart. Wahan. He'll put a weakness in your heart. And they asked him, what is this wahan? And he said, Hubbid dunya wa karahir till mot, that you would love the world and you would hate to die. In other words, when, when our hearts become so tied up with the dunya, we love it so much and we hate and are afraid to die, then we will become ghutha'asim. So this is a, this is a really powerful hadith. And this hadith answers a lot of the questions. Because many times you'll have young people or somebody say, you know, what is this? How can they attack the Muslim world? How can this thing happen in Syria like this? How can this thing happen in Yemen like this? How can the war continue in Afghanistan like this? How can Iraq be ruined, you know, like this? And they'll ask you this. And Allah knows best what it is, this very complicated situation. But from the prophetic guidance, we see what the Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, is saying. And this is knowledge, no doubt, from above seven heavens. And so, the essence of the problem, again, is inside. You see, it's inside. This is where he came from. He didn't say, when your technology, you don't have enough weapons, you don't have enough troops, you don't have strong horses, he didn't say that, right? He said it's something, a sickness in us, right? And something happening in their hearts. So he, he, he looked inside, and that takes us back to our axiom, and that is uh, from Surah Al-Rad, verse 11, in the Allah la ma biqawmin, hatta ma Allah will not change the condition of the people till they change that which is in themselves. So the internal Muslim, that the Islamic revival begins within. So we're talking about this change now. We're not talking about a reform. Because a reform is anybody can put on a new uh, set of clothes on the outside. You can say slogans. You can appear in a certain way on the outside. But the real revival is within ourselves. And this is the methodology of the Islamic revival. This is the tajdeed we're talking about. It's, it starts within us. If we first look in ourselves, right, to what is functioning inside of us, and then deal with this, then inshallah, Allah has promised us, He will change our conditions. And that tawfiq from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is actually the most important issue. And I found this out about the internal um, struggle um, from being pushed into a leadership position uh, after having coming, come back from studying in Medina and being in the field of Dawah, you know, in the Caribbean. And I was pushed into leadership here in Toronto, which was one of the largest uh, growing communities in the 80s, uh, in the 90s. It's still one of the largest Muslim communities in terms of growth uh, in North America. And um, one of the issues that faced our community constantly is the Hilal of Ramadan. Every year, people, Shaban comes and people say, oh no, it's another Ramadan. Like some of them are feeling bad, right? Because 
this group is going to be here and that one's going to be there. You know, families will be broken up, you know, at the beginning of the month or the end of the month. You know, it's like there's two or three moons in the sky, man. Okay, it's some sort of group insanity that comes over us, right? And so one of the years, um, this is in the 80s, people were really frustrated. And they came to us and they said, there's father fighting mother. There's parents struggling against children. Do something. And so we called a mass meeting of all the leaders. And we had just about everybody who could attend. And that is not only um, Isna-type masjids or Arab or uh, uh, you know uh, Bengali or Somali or whatever. This is everybody, which includes Diobandi-type masjids. We had everybody at the table. Okay? And we poured our hearts out to each other. Alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put something you know, on this gathering. And we formed a Hilal Committee. It's what we call the Hilal Committee. And this Hilal Committee was made up of um, scholars who were trained in India. There were scholars trained in Medina. There was a Nigerian scholar also trained in Arabia. There were members of Isna, Ikna, um, all the different groups the persuasions were there at that time concerning Ramadan. We did not have calculators then. We did not have people who start the month on a calculation. That was not um, part of the struggle. But the main struggle was, do you start the month based upon a local sighting or an international sighting? That was the key uh, issue itself. And, um, but we broke nationalism. Because some people would come and they say, okay, my parents in Egypt... You know, they said, Eid Mubarak, it's Eid Mubarak. My parents in uh, Delhi said, Eid Mubarak, it's Eid Mubarak. So we said, drop nationalism. We're here in the Americas. And we were able to make a type of uh, compromise in fiqh, right, where all of the groups felt comfortable. This was a revolutionary thing that happened. And we started the month together. We got together in the Medina Mosque uh, there, and you know we, we we started the month all together. This was amazing, okay. But then, as the month started to progress, as we moved toward the end, tension started coming back, and I had the unfortunate uh, or fortunate uh, uh, responsibility of being the Amir of the group. So that night, this is the critical night. Think about it. It's the end, going near the end of the month. It's that critical night when everybody is waiting for the sighting. And according to the calculations, it does not look very possible here in the East Coast. Midwest doesn't look possible. In the West Coast, far in the West Coast and in the Pacific, possible. Okay? But the problem is, it was wintertime. It was like this season. And so... The days, you know, are, are short, and people want to know what is going on. I mean, 10 o'clock at night, 9 o'clock at night, even in the winter, is late around here. People are going to bed. And plus, at that time, we, we had group uh, Eid Salats in huge uh, stadiums. So the people in the stadium needed to know the night before, is this your Eid or is it not your Eid? So we were sitting there. No decision, East Coast, nothing. Sightings on, on the Midwest, nothing. Sightings in the mountain zone, nothing. 
Now it's getting around 11 o'clock. Phone calls are coming in. You know, make the decision. It's clear. You know, we can't see it. The calculation said this, you know, you have to do it. So they pressurized us. And finally, around 11.30, uh, 12, we said, we can't wait anymore. And the far west had not sighted. They were just fielding sightings. But we said, no, it's too much. So we decided tomorrow is a fasting day. Okay? And I drove home in an in a epic snow night, just like what has just hit us here in Toronto in this epic snow. It was one of those knee-deep nights. Uh, and I drove back in the knee-deep snow and then came back to my home. And it was about um, 2 in the morning. I got a phone call. They said, Brother Abdullah, two Arab brothers have seen it in a mountain in Idaho or something like this. They saw the moon. And one of the groups, I don't want to start calling names, one of the groups, they, 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 they broke their fast. They finished. And they said, tomorrow's Eid. Now that was breaking our unity because we have a shura who will make the decision, right? If the shura makes the decision, you go with the decision. Right? They broke the decision and started saying, Eid, Eid, Eid. Confusion's now going. I got a phone call, you know, from uh, one of the brothers and um, they said, I said, okay, what, what should we do? This was Indo-Pakistani brother and um, you know, he was a, you know, a Maulana, you know, good brother. But he said, Brother Abdullah, um, you can't trust Arabs. You can't trust them, man. You know, I'll see you next year. Salaam alaikum. I called the Arabs and I spoke to them. And one of them said, Brother, these people can't speak Arabic, man. You can't trust their scholarship. You know, finished. Then I spoke to some of the Shuyuk and, and Maulanas. There were a few of them in between, middle. And they said, go with your heart. That's what they said. You're the emir. Go with your heart, man. Okay? So I called the Arab brothers who saw it. Because I got their names, and I made long-distance call, and I called them, and they convinced me that they had sighted the moon, the Hilal. They convinced me. So what am I going to do now? Because it's my responsibility to announce to the people it has really been cited within a legal zone of North America that we set. Right? We announced it early. And so um, we announced tomorrow is Eid. Now this is difficult because the stadium was already not booked. It's gone, it's gone right? And um, people, the, the, the word is out there. People went to sleep getting up for Sahur. And now the nude is going, no, Eid Mubarak, Eid Mubarak, Eid Mubarak, Eid Mubarak. You know, my, my, my mother-in-law, who at that time was not a Muslim, alhamdulillah, she accepted Islam before she died. She, she knocked on my door, it was about 3.30 in the morning. She said, Brother Abdullah, there's a crowd downstairs. And I said, are they Muslims? We had a two-story house. I said, are they Muslims? She said, yes. So I went outside and the brothers are there. Tell us, brother, you tell us. Is it Eid or not Eid? I said, Eid Mubarak. <laughs> Almost. I said, Eid Mubarak, man. They convinced me. They said, okay, shukran. That's all we wanted to know. Okay? But the confusion that came, we were in a worse situation than we were before the month when we united, right? And you know what I realized? That the real problem 
was not ikhtilaf al-matali' It was not the difference in the horizons, it was ikhtilaf al-qulub. It was the difference in the hearts. That's what our problem was. It's not fiqh. It's not sharia. It is the difference in the hearts. And I realized this, that our real problem is inside of ourselves. And unless we solve this, then this disunity will continue and continue and, and, and continue. And so, it is ikhtilaf al-qulub. It is the difference in the hearts. So we want to look at the importance of the heart. And the uh, uh, 40 hadith of Islamic revival uh, continues on, and it takes us into the issue of the heart itself. And this hadith number four, Abu Huraira reports, radiallahu an, that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَنْدُرُوا إِلَىٰ أَجْسَامِكُمْ وَلَا إِلَىٰ سُوَرِكُمْ وَلَكَنْ يَنْدُرُوا إِلَىٰ قُلُوبِكُمْ وَأَعْمَالِكُمْ رواه مسلم Verily Allah does not look at your bodies nor at your appearances but He looks at your hearts and your deeds. Okay? He looks at your hearts and your deeds. So this is something which is really important. Okay? He's looking at your hearts. So you start to now see this word qalb which is qulub, right? The plural is qulub, that's the heart. Okay? And it continues. Now there's another long hadith, and um, it goes like this. There's a section which is important to us, but this is hadith number five in the, uh, again, the Islamic revival. And again, these are hadiths which, again, over the years, um, you know, I used over and over again. These are essential hadith for Islamic revival. And the Prophet, peace be upon him, in this one, uh, is telling us, Al-Halalu Bayyan, Wal-Haramu Bayyan. That which is lawful and clear, and that which is prohibited, uh, that which is lawful is clear, and that which is prohibited is clear. But between them are doubtful matters about which not many people know. So he who avoids the doubtful matters clears himself in regard to his religion and his honor. But he who falls into doubtful matters falls into that which is prohibited, like the shepherd who pastures around the sanctuary, all but grazing therein. Surely every king has a sanctuary, and surely Allah's sanctuary on this earth is his prohibitions. So this is the first part, where the Prophet ﷺ is talking about there's halal and there's haram, right? But in between them there's doubt, these shubuhat. Gray areas, right? So if you stay out of these things, then you're going to be safe. If you fall into the great areas, gray areas, then you are literally on the path into haram. Right? So watch out for it. See, so this is really good advice about halal and haram. But the shahid here, the important part of the hadith, is now coming at the end. وَإِنَّ فِي الْجَسَدِ مُدْغَ إِذَا صَلَحَتْ صَلَحَ الْجَسَدُ كُلُّ Okay? That the Prophet, peace be upon him, said that verily in the body there is a lump of flesh which if it is in good repair, all the body will be in good repair and which if it is corrupted, the whole body is corrupted and truly it is the heart. 
So this is heavy. Because he said, إِذَا salahat, If this hat is sound and right, everything's going to go right. But if it is corrupted, everything is going to be corrupted. So this is really a, a, a crucial point that, that he's making for us. And in looking at the discussions around the hat, now, when you start to go back in traditions, you see, uh, for instance, that the Prophet ﷺ said on one occasion, the person came to him and said, uh, tell me about bir, tell me about righteousness. Right? What should I do? And the Prophet, peace be upon him, said, he said, istafti qalbak. He said, ask your heart. Okay? So this is not just the lump of flesh. It's something else, right? It's emanating out of it. There's something else to this, right? Also, when people are lining up for prayers, the Prophet, peace be upon him, was said, shoulder to shoulder, right? Fill in the gaps so your hearts will not be divided. Okay? So you're being shoulder to shoulder with your brother or sister so your heart will not be divided. Is that the heart in your body? It's on the left side. It's on the left side. Right? How is it divided from the person on the right? It's something else. You know, we used to say, it's like your conscience, we used to say in America, always let your conscience be your guide. Always let your conscience be your guide. So it's something in there, the heart really is, as described by the ulama, it's like the door to your soul. It's your conscience. It's like a type of energy. It's not the ruh. The ruh, the soul, is something else. That is the special energy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that's the light from Allah, but there is some sort of power force, a conscience, which affects us. And I want to look at this heart briefly with you, even from a scientific um, point of view, but, but before we go to that, there's also a very interesting ayah in the Quran, and uh, um, this one is, is, is very important to understand the heart as well, how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about it, and Allah tells us, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم أفلم يسيروا في الأرض فتكون لهم قلوب يعقلون بها أو أذان يسمعون بها فإنها لا تعمل أبصار ولكن تعمل قلوب التي في الصدور So in this verse Allah tells us Do they not travel through the land so their hearts may thus learn wisdom, and their ears may thus learn to hear. Truly, it is not their eyes that are blind, but their hearts which are in their chests. So this is a deep verse, because Allah is saying travel, right? And, and this is one of the great um, benefits of travel, that when you travel and you experience things on the road, and when you meet people in other environments, you gain a type of wisdom because that's experiences. If you're only with the people just around you, you'll only just have their experiences. But if you travel, you know, outside of America to Asia, to Africa, to, you know, to, you know, to, to, to the north, the south, you will get experiences from the people in other lands. So, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us, you know, travel. Because why won't they travel? Because if they travel, then their hearts will get aqal. يَعْقِلُونَ biha. They will have wisdom in the use of their hearts and their ears, right, will learn to hear properly. So that's not just hearing a sound like a boom. 
It's being able to really hear what's going on. You see? So this is wisdom that's in traveling. And then Allah said, the eyes is not what's blind. It's the hearts. And you can see all you want, but if your heart is blind, you're looking at events right in front of you, and you don't even see it. And we see it happening today. Look at what's going on. We're watching countries being overthrown right in front of us. Everybody in the world knows what's going on, but nobody can see it. People are like blind to what is going on. We see things, people starving to death, and others are blind to it. So this is the nature of the heart itself. Okay? So now we know that there's something to this heart. I want to look at some science here. The science is shocking. Because for a long time, we were taught that the human being is like a brain and a heart and then your limbs. So the brain is like your hard drive and it tells you know your body what to do. The heart is just pumping blood. So the heart is there to keep you going like your engine. But the real hard drive, the information is here. You know what the scientists have recognized now? Number one, the cardiovascular system uh, is one of the first to form in the embryo. When the baby is there, one of the first things to form is the heart. Okay, Heart cells form the heart. It's made up of, of, of a bunch of cells. And these cells pulsate. The cells in the heart are all pulsating. No other cells have this life force. There's no other cells in your body that pulsate by themselves. But the cells that are in your heart are actually pulsating. It's a life force that's in the cell. And this life force is 55,000 times stronger than the brain. The force in your heart is 5,000 times stronger than the brain. So really, we're being governed by our hearts, not by our brains. We are taught in the secular system, use your mind. Right? You study in school. Right? Not your feelings, not your intuition, not your conscience, you know, not your emotions, but just, you know, information. So somebody can give you the wrong information. Emotionally, you know it's wrong. But they said it's true. So you follow it. Tell us some more. What about more about the heart? The heart has a brain of its own. An organized network of nerve cells and plexi. So in the heart is a brain. Okay, this is scientific information. Okay, one can be brain dead and still alive. Remember, the, the, the pulsating nature of, of, of the heart. So the brain can actually die. But the person, technically speaking, is still alive. It's only when that final life force that they try to measure with electricity sometimes, when that thing stops, then that's it. Okay? Every cell in the body right, is, is, is permeated with this life force from the heart. So the rest of your body is actually influenced by your heart. Now you see how important it is when the Prophet Solomon says, don't let your hearts be divided. You see it? Now we see how important it is when the Prophet said, if the heart is sound and correct, everything is correct. See the science? It said every cell is permeated with the life force from the heart. And the Prophet said, if the heart is corrupted, then everything is corrupted. 
So you can see how the science is even informing us. This is something we, we didn't know before. It's now new cutting-edge information coming out. So many of the decisions that we're making are actually we're making it with our hearts. Right? It's not just with the brains. And those who become secular and they become like machines, right? and they're only following the rule books, right? and they're not using their you know, intuition or their, their, their emotional sense, right? then sometimes they get lost. This, um, uh, uh, this heart issue, okay, uh, check this. Uh, uh, let me just check the computer here. Yes, push it forward. Yeah. It's not moving from what? Okay, there it is. Okay, that went back. Push it again. Let's get it straight. No, you're going to do the other way, right? Next one. Next. Okay, it's going back. Yeah, okay. The next one, that one. Okay. It's not, uh, see if you can make the connection again. Okay, so now, in terms of the heart itself, there's new findings uh, about the power of the heart. Now, look at this now. This is deep, too. The electromagnetic field of the heart has been measured, right? Take it back, right? Has been measured three to four feet from the body. It's an electromagnetic field. Remember the life force coming out of your heart, right? So there's literally a field that is around you that you can see, that we can't see, right? But they measured it. And the field is a type of light-based energy, right? And you know, your emotions affect the field. Now, I'll give you an example. You know sometimes when you meet somebody, right? And that person is given off what we call vibrations. So sometimes you get a negative vibration from this person. You know, some are more sensitive than others. But some people, when, when a person comes in, they feel cold. It, it's really the electromagnetic field of that person affecting your field. It's the heart, right? Also, like when you do a good deed, sometimes, and, or somebody says something that really affects you, you feel warm. Tears might come to your eyes, right? You, know, you feel a quiver you know, in your body. This is your ele electromagnetic field. It's your life force being affected by somebody else's life force. And this is actually, uh, come, this is a new findings about a heart itself. And that's how important the heart is to us uh, in our study of uh, Islamic revival. And I want to take it a little further with you. And this is part of my study as a historian because um, I connect history. Remember, travel in the land and see how important you know, other people's experiences. You know what I found? I went into the deep temples and tombs of ancient Egypt because I was looking for Tawheed in different parts of the world to find, because Allah said he sent prophets and messengers to every nation, right? So now, if the Egyptians built, uh, they united uh, uh, Upper and Lower Egypt in 3200 BC. A lot of people don't understand this. They united their country in 3200 B.C. And by 3000 B.C., they built the Temple of Saqqara, a huge pyramid that is still there today. And then by 2650 B.C., they built the Great Pyramid of Giza, right? Which is like, you know, millions of blocks of granite. 
That's 2650 BC. So in order for you to build a structure like that, which has all the elements of modern-day physics and math in it, then your culture had to develop a long period of time. So if the Egyptian culture was, say, 5,000 years old, or 10,000 years old, Allah said in the Qur'an, He has sent prophets and messengers to every nation. So obviously, prophets and messengers came to the Nile Valley. Now, the mistake that many Muslims make is that when we think of Musa salam and Pharaoh and Fir'aun, right? So we think that Fir'aun is all of the leaders. No, Fir'aun, there were hundreds of Pharaohs. And the Fir'aun of Musa salam is coming somewhere around 1650 B.C., right? This is B.C., right? And if you think of the, the, temp, or the Giza pyramid, that's built a thousand years before it. If you think of the unity uh, 3200, that's way before it, 2,000, 3,000 years before. So could there be something in their culture? You know what I found out? And this has uh, another interesting point for our study here. The ancient Egyptians, they believed that the judgment day, they believed in the judgment day. So they believed that you die, you go into the next life, and there will be a weighing of the scales. Now, if you look at this picture closely, this is on, on one of their temples, underneath the ground, right? Now, the same rules of pictures that we have, this is another nation. Each sharia is different according to the prophets who came to the sharias, to different places, right? But look at this. This is um, uh, a, 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 a pictograph of the weighing of the scales of a person in a judgment. And according to the Egyptians, and you see on the right side, there is a feather. Okay? And on the left side is the heart. So, if your heart is, um, is, is, is more than a feather in sin, right? You're being weighed against a feather. If your heart is dirty and it's got sin inside of it, then you'll be punished in the next life. The point is, they're weighing hearts here. That was the key element for them in the human being, it is the heart, right? And the Prophet ﷺ said, remember, your deeds in the mal-a'malu bin niyat, remember our first hadith? Your deeds are based on your intentions. And there's another hadith where the Prophet ﷺ said, the place of your intention is your heart. Your niyyah comes from your heart. That's right in the hadith. Mahala niyyah al-qalb. So they were onto it. Because remember, your deeds are based on your intentions, so you, and it's in your heart. So that's all of your intentions being weighed now. And, and that's how they expressed it, more than likely based upon a prophet who came to them. Because they had prophets and messengers like every other uh, nation. You know, had. And if you study Akhnaten, uh, who wrote the famous Psalms of Akhnaten, just before the time of Musa salam, in the Psalms of Akhnaten, um, he was talking about um, the power behind the sun. And, and if you read the Psalms of Akhnaten, there's parts of it that look, it looks just like Surah Hujurat. It looks like the Quran itself. Okay? And this was, uh, he united all the different people in Egypt, right before the time of Musa salam. And this is interesting because Musa, remember, the Prophet Musa he had an Egyptian education. Right? He grew up in Egypt. 
And he, Akhenaten, was just before him. He had caused a revolution. Because he did not want all gods, he wanted one. Okay? Now some people say, no, it was the sun god. Right? But you'll see in his writings, he's talking about the power behind the sun. That the sun is actually just a creation. Okay? And you'll see it in the Psalms of Akhenaten. Anyhow, the point is um, uh, the concept of the heart and the intention and how important uh, this is for us. It is a critical nature to us to understand the heart, what is going on inside of the human being, um, because this really is the center of the issue. And if this heart goes right, either salahat, salah al-jasadu kullu, wa idha fasadat, fasad al-jasadu kullu. If the heart is sound and correct and it's okay, then the whole body is correct, whole body is sound. If it is corrupted, then the whole body is corrupted. I want to open up the floor for any questions uh, anybody may have concerning issues of the heart. Yeah. I remember that we prayed the following day. We right. did fast that day. Right. And we prayed the following day. That's right. We, because the, we had canceled the call mm-hmm. that day. Mm-hmm. So we prayed the next day. Right. So, that, and you know, according to Sharia, um, you, can, um, you can break your fast and, and you, you can make Eid Salat. You know, and um, without having, the, uh, uh, you can actually break your fast without even having a major uh, Eid Salat. Because Eid Salat is Sunnah, right? Um, breaking the fast is what's Fard. Okay? So, but the average Muslim, how can you break your fast? How can you have Eid with no Eid Mubarak, man? No Eid, no Eid prayer? People could not understand this. They could not, only people who study fiqh know that it's, it, it, that it's okay, but the masses could not understand, so it was confusion, right? And I was stuck in the middle of this, right? I, I think there was an historical, it happened one time in the time of the Prophet, too. Like the, the information came, so the Prophet prayed the following day. The next day, not that day. He asked them to break the fast. Right. They made the, I think, the fast the whole time, so they prayed the next day. Yeah, so, so this is, you know, the, the, uh, the Muslim Sahaba who had come from, uh, Syria, mm-hmm. you know, to Medina, and then, you know, but they said, we're gonna look ourselves, mm-hmm. just to be sure. So this is part of the discussion. The point is, is that whether it's, um, an international sighting or a local sighting, mashallah, they're all correct. The point is leadership. What's the decision that we're gonna follow? When we have an emir, and when we follow our jama'ah, then we sleep at night. Because the emir talks to the ulama, the ulama make the decision, the emir says, this is Eid. And you're going to go to sleep. But when you have emirs on every corner, every and everyone's emir of mu'minin, and some might be mujaddids and mahdis too, then you have a problem. So that really is, it's a classical example, you know, of the differences of the hearts. Yeah. Nine, ten o'clock, you had the whole group's leaders, and you took a decision. Tomorrow, we are fasting. You came home by two o'clock, somebody called you. Yeah. Now, you gave a call back to those persons, so your heart was convinced, and then you stood and announced, tomorrow is Eid. Right. 
So you completely changed the decision you took 11 o'clock with all the groups. So were all the groups informed after that, okay, at 2 o'clock or whatever time? Yes, they, but, but then you remember some people said, you know, don't listen to those Pakistanis or don't listen to those Arabs, and they put their phone down because they had a problem in their heart, right? And they couldn't control it. We had gotten it to a certain level, but we were tested, and they, they, their hearts were not clean. And, and, and that really, you know, is the... I realize that's the problem. The problem is not fiqh. You can come up with a hundred formulas of fiqh. But it's really in us, you know, to, to unite ourselves and to be comfortable with each other. And even if there is a difference of opinion, you should be comfortable with your brother who has a difference of opinion. So what? It doesn't make war or fighting or anything. Or bad feeling, it's, it's what's, it's, it's the corruption inside, right? You know, and this really is uh, the essence of our struggle. Any other final questions, uh, that we will, uh, you know? Yeah, okay, go ahead. Well, there's a question being raised lately about, uh, Juma, praying of Juma in a, uh, non Islamic state. Apparently, they're justifying saying the Prophet was made first while he was in Mecca. He never prayed Jumma in Mecca, only after he established the Islamic State in Marina, then he started praying. Mm -hmm. So, does that mean that we are not in the Islamic State, so we don't need to pray Okay, um, Tahseen. Um, we're going to end the class, and then we'll discuss, you know, so, um, because alhamdulillah we've come to the end. And inshallah next week uh, we will continue uh, with our study of the heart. Uh, there's more in it, because this really is one of the most important subjects in the whole of the Islamic revival. So inshallah we'll end here and pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would purify our hearts and unite us. Cut it. Is that cut?